Hey guys, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, uh, so if you have your Bibles and want to turn to there, that would be great. But before we jump into the message this morning, there's uh, some updates that I want to give you concerning Nicaragua. Uh, several weeks ago, you may have gotten an email, or hopefully you did, we sent out a mass email to everybody in our church to ask you to pray for the country. There's some political unrest going on, and we did that. That was great. In the next few days, we're very peaceful, um, and things quieted down. That, however, is not the case any longer. All of that has ramped back up. Political unrest has uh, gotten to the point where it's now impacting and affecting Granada, Nicaragua, which is, uh, it's impacting the whole country, but where our ministry partners, Scott and Jen Esposito, are there. And some of you uh, know them, some of you don't. They actually helped to start Velocity, so they've been a part of our church family for a long time, and they uh, left here to go there to, as missionaries and to uh, share the gospel of Jesus. And so, um, so with all the violence and stuff that's going on, uh, one small part of that is that we have suspended officially our trip to Nicaragua, and so that's not going to be happening in July, but there's some uh, action items for us as a church or for things that are going on. Scott and Jen have sent part of their team's home, uh, part of their team home. There are other missionaries that have completely pulled out of the country because of all the things that are going on there, so... Uh, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of what they're dealing with. Uh, food is very scarce right now. Uh, they are existing right now in rice and beans. Um, gas, for example, there's one gas station in town that's been getting gas, but it's been like six, seven hour line for them to get fuel. Uh, so just to give you an idea of some of the things that they're having to deal with. So not only are they um, working in a place that has a lot of unrest that we can't really even fathom or think about, because of our experiences, uh, they're trying to figure out, hey, how do we, how does God use us in this moment? They're trying to discern, hey, should, should we stay or should we go? But also, how is God going to use us here in the midst of this? Some of the things that have happened are things like one neighborhood fighting another neighborhood for resources and all that kind of stuff. And they've been able to go in and pray with people in either neighborhood and bring them to a point not only where they're not fighting, but they're actually working together. You know, so there are some things that are happening where God is, is showing up in the midst of that. Here are a couple things that we can do as a church body. One is we can pray. Uh, we can't go over there physically right now with what's going on, but we can, we can pray for them as they are seeking to minister and let God use them in an impossible situation. One of the things that we can pray very practically is for the country as a whole to figure out I mean, there's going to be a political change, a regime change, and whoever that next person is, hopefully it won't be, well, I, I won't get into that, but hopefully it'll be somebody that's actually good that, that comes in and changes for that, but be in prayer for Scott and Jen personally as well through this. Another practical way that you can be involved and help is you can go to reekgranada.com and, and you can give. Um, like I said, they're, they're on rice and beans right now, and so financially, uh, not only... Um, are they trying to help the people that are around them and the neighborhood and the people, the local uh, missionaries and evangelists that they're working uh, with, but uh, they're trying to be a light in the midst of a very dark uh, time. And they, as a ministry, they have land that's there and fruit trees and stuff like that, have actually been like the largest employer in Granada for a while, and there's no work for anybody because they've had trips that are canceled and all that kind of stuff. So there's some very practical applications to you being able to go to reapgranada.com and, and helping them out financially in the midst of that. And even though we can't be there physically, we can still be a part of what's God, what God is going to do uh, through them and in the kingdom in the midst of this, this stuff that's going on. So 
we're going to take some time right now as a church family and, and pray for them. God, we want to lift up the country of Nicaragua and ask that you bring about um, peace swiftly uh, in the right way uh, with the right people and uh, that the transition of power would happen um, and, uh, and move the country in the right direction. We lift up Scott and Jen and uh, the people that, uh, that have stayed that are on their team, but also the uh, people that they work with locally that have been ministry partners with them and how they're struggling and their friends and family are, are dealing with this situation. We ask that uh, you provide them with what they need um, to be able to eat, to be able to, to live, but also uh, to be able to minister. Uh, you so often work in ways that we don't understand in tough situations. It, it seems to be something that helps to grow the church and the kingdom, and we ask that this be the case as well, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. It's actually, uh, it wasn't planned at all, uh, you know, for all of this to happen, but it actually fits in really well with what we're talking about today, because sometimes we're just put in impossible situations, and there's no way that we can come up with any kind of solution that will help. I mean, you know, sometimes we would put in rough situations that we could still kind of do on our own. Like, if you've ever had to move on your own before? I mean, it's terrible. Nobody enjoys doing that. Have to pack up the truck yourself and all that kind of stuff. But you can, you can make that work. But there's sometimes that we are just, it just doesn't matter. We need help. We're stuck. Uh, there was a time in college where I was driving home to Richmond. I was on 64 in the middle of the night just after Williamsburg. I was in my 87 Toyota 4Runner, and it just died on me. All right, just done, and I was going nowhere. I'm in college. I've got no resources. I did, I did have a cell phone at that, that point. I can't remember if it was my dad's bag phone or not, but I had something that where I was able to call my parents and I said, look, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't even know where I am. There's no mile markers or exits or anything like that. So they call a tow truck. I have to wait for them to find me on 64. And then they take me to a mechanic. Of course, it's not open. It's in the middle of the night. So I have to sit there for, you know, several hours, you know, where I'm just kind of hanging out. And my parents, God bless them, actually came and got me. Uh, which was really cool of them to come do and brought, brought me home. There's absolutely nothing I was going to be able to do on my own unless I waited till the next day and tried to make something happen. I was just stuck in that kind of situation. A lot of us know exactly what that's like. It might be something, not something that you're dealing with right now, but it's something that you can think of in the past, maybe something with work, maybe something just personally, maybe something with your family, but you've been in a position where you're stuck, you know that you can't come up with a solution and you need some help. And this, this is what God does in Acts chapter 2. The disciples, the apostles are waiting just as Jesus has told them to, and he sends, God sends help for the mission that he's given them to take on in their life. We're breaking down the book of Acts into eight parts, and so we started that last week. We said, hey, we're going to have eight words that help us identify what God is doing as he's sparking the, this moment, this movement. It starts with the word wait. That's what God says to, to do to the apostles and disciples. He says, all right, you got to hang on, you got to wait. The second word today is helper, because this is what God does. He sends his followers to, st to stay in Jerusalem and wait, and he sends them a gift, the Holy Spirit. 
He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This follows on the heels of Jesus giving them the mission of going and making disciples of all nations. And as the disciples are sitting there waiting in that upper, the upper room, they're thinking, this is going to be impossible. How are we going to be able to achieve this mission that Jesus has given us? And this is, there's no... TV ads, there's no billboards, there's no Facebook, there's no email, there's no way to spread this. Thank goodness this was the day before uh, tracks existed. <laughs> Some of you have been around church long enough to know what I'm talking about when I say that. So this is before even that existed. There were 200 million people on the earth at this point. You think about all the uh, geographical barriers, think of the language barriers that exist at this point in time. And Jesus says, I want, you, said, I want you to take the gospel, the story of my death, burial, and resurrection for the world and share it with the entire earth. So you think even if somehow you get to the ends of the earth and you're able to reach everybody physically to the point where you're able to have a conversation with them, how in the world are you going to convince them to believe that Jesus, back in this other country in the Roman Empire, died on the cross for their sins and raised again like nobody else had done on their own before. This is an impossible mission. And this is what Jesus asks his disciples to take on, and he asks us to take on as well. Of course, he knows something that we don't know. He knows that there's something coming, a helper. And, and there are even moments as he's teaching the disciples throughout their ministry where they look and say, Jesus, what you're saying, what you're teaching, like in Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus says, you know, just because you're rich, you don't get into heaven. And, and the disciples say, well, who, who can be saved because of all the things they believed at that time? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And in Acts chapter 2, we get to see just that, that God shows up to make an impossible mission possible and to show his followers that they aren't ever going to have to do it on their own. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke starts here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. Do you know what Pentecost is? Pentecost is one of the many festivals uh, in Jewish history and tradition. That, in fact, if you look in the Old Testament, this would have been called the Feast of Weeks. And so this was a harvest festival, and they were back in Jerusalem. This is 50 days after the Passover. They were hanging out. There were people from all over. Uh, Jews from all over the Roman Empire would make a pilgrimage back here, and so they're all in town. Jesus had risen uh, from the dead during the time of Passover. This was 50 days ago, Penta meaning 50, 50 days ago, and it's been 10 days since Jesus went back into heaven. And so they had been waiting 10 days after Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Um, Jews from all over that were there, and uh, Pentecost was a harvest festival, as I said before, which is really interesting when you consider how this story ends up. And so maybe you'll remember that by the time we get to the end of the story. And here's what happens. Verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so we're sitting here, we're hanging out together, 
worship together, we're going through God's word together, all of a sudden you hear this rushing, roaring wind. People start speaking in other languages in this room. What's your reaction? Like, how do you handle Like, I didn't bring a change of clothes. <laughs> you know, how, how do you handle it? Like, what's going on in your mind as this is taking place? This, this is a significant moment. This is this is Jesus, this is God getting the ball rolling right now as the gift that he has promised shows up in a way that cannot be ignored. The people around them start speaking in foreign languages, languages that they had not learned beforehand. And so God is starting to do, he's sparking this movement, he's starting to do something incredible that all the people that are in Jerusalem at this time start to take note of. Here's another thing that's really interesting is the Holy Spirit comes and it's described as a violent wind. If you don't know this, um, in, in Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma, which means breath or wind. And so you think uh, some of the implications of, of God breathing life into us early on in creation. You think about the Holy Spirit showing up as the strong wind surrounding them and, and drawing attention to what God is doing and his presence is coming. And in verse 5, they're staying in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem or with them were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And this is one of those things where um, Galileans were not considered to be educated people. You know, it would be like, oh, man, are these people from Goochland or something? You know, that... I can say that. I live in Gooch. I live in Goochland. I can say that. My parents live in a place called Bumpus, okay? So, look, I, I get a little bit of, all right, it's cool. So, so they're saying these are, not lear- these are not educated people, and so how in the world do they learn all of these foreign languages? Uh, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then Luke goes on to identify 15 different people groups and languages that are represented in this, at least that they're speaking just because they've been empowered to, uh, by the Holy Spirit to do this. And so the crowd look at each other and they say, what does this mean? I mean, like, I can, I can speak French. Parlez-vous français? You know, croissant? Oui, oui. But that's just silliness. They're actually, like, giving a message that is causing these people to stop and say there's something that demands our attention that is happening right here. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, because there are other people in the crowd that were saying this, thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's like, somebody's drunk here. <laughs> that's got to be, in verse 13, that's what Luke says. Some of them say, uh, some of them had way too much, w- much wine. And this, all this happens to set up the first ever gospel message, the first ever sermon that, that we see. So Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest followers, in verse 14, stands up with the other 11 apostles. He raises his voice and addresses the crowd he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. They aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning, right? So there is a too early, all right? <laughs> Some of you are like, what about mimosas? Um, 16. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, maybe I should pour out what I have. Uh, verse, six, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they 
will prophesy. This isn't just some sideshow. This isn't just some scheme that all of a sudden comes out. This is, this is something that God has promised, and this promise has existed for hundreds of years that's now coming to light. When Peter starts quoting Joel, the prophet Joel, the people around him immediately know who he's talking about. It would be like me saying, Abraham Lincoln once said. I mean, it's somebody that they know about and would be able to affirm, yeah, that sounds like something Abraham Lincoln would say. But no, they would know because they would know the scripture reference that Peter is using in this moment. And so they hear this and they start to think, oh, man. Okay, now, now I'm starting to understand contextually what this means and what Joel was talking about, how God was going to send his presence to us. And this is, this is why God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life empowers the message of the gospel. This is, this is what God does. He makes this mission impossible that he's given his apostles and he's given us as his disciples possible by his Holy Spirit. In verse 22, Peter continues. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves known. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It was only 50 days ago. Can you imagine? Like, this is a great way to connect to your audience. God sent his son. You killed him. You know, like, that's the, that's the first gospel message that, that's there. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here's the gospel message, and this is why the Holy Spirit came. Look, we're not getting into all like the, the real fun discussions. If you've been around church uh, long enough, that can typically happen when you talk about the Holy Spirit. We'll save that for when we get into Paul's letters, and he talks a little bit more specifically about this. But, but it's very clear that the reason God sends the Holy Spirit is so we can share this truth with the world, that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Thousands of people at this point have gathered for this spectacle, this gospel message, because of how it's being delivered and what's happening here. And these are people that, as Peter is talking about the events of the last 50 days, they've experienced it. They lived through it. They were there. They've seen Jesus heal people. That's why their interest is held. And it's not just some, like, oh, here's some kind of, like, cool foreign language trick that's happening right here. No, it's like, now Peter's talking about events that we've all experienced here Together, And he's starting to explain and connect the dots of what these things mean. These people are the same people that were there when Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate. And he's looking out to the crowd and saying, who do you want? Do you want the murderer of Barabbas or do you want Jesus to be freed? And they say, give us Barabbas, crucify him. Many of these people, thousands of people that are gathered here, would have been a part of the crowd that got whipped up into a frenzy that said, no, we want Jesus to die for what he's done. And Peter says, in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And it's at this point that I imagine you could hear a pin drop. 
Because the nation of Israel, the people that are represented there, are confronted with the fact that the one thing that they wanted to be true and have happened in their life as a nation, the Messiah that was promised by God to be sent, they ruined all of that. At least that's what they think at this point. The Lord that was sent by God, the Messiah, man, we, we killed him, literally. And that's our problem, too. Our sin does the same thing and puts us in the same place as everybody else in that crowd. So they're stunned. They're cut to the heart. Verse 37, and they look to Peter and the other apostles and say, Brothers, what shall we do? See, they're confronted by, by the fact that our sin ultimately leads to death, both literally and figuratively. Literally in that one of the consequences of sin in life is that death is introduced and at some point all of us are going to die. Figuratively in that it causes spiritual death and separation from us and God. And yet God never designed us to be alone. Sin is the thing that removes our relationship with him. It separates us, and yet he didn't design us that way. He created us to be in relationship with him. We were never meant to be alone, and God reconciles that by the gift of his Holy Spirit. I mean... When the crowd asked, what can we do? I mean, God could have designed things a little bit differently, and Peter could have said, well, if you said crucify him, it's too late for you. Wouldn't he be justified in responding in that way? You killed my son that I sent to you. you. Like, you literally did this thing, and so it's too late. No, he didn't say that. He could say, again, completely justified, he could say, well, you better start earning it now. And here are the things you got to do because you better, you better get started uh, for as much time as you have because you're going to be working for the rest of your life before you can earn this back. No, he didn't say anything like that. What he says is, what God says through Jesus and empowers through his Holy Spirit, he says, I, you know, instead of all of these other options that are here, how about me? I, I'll just come be with you. You want to be set free from your sin? You want to atone for what you've done? You want to experience a free life? Why don't you let me take care of that? And let me come have my presence in your life. And, and you think back to what the apostles, maybe how they started off their day. You're sitting around eating a bowl of Cheerios and they're thinking, thinking you know, Jesus has given us this task. How in the world are we going to be able to complete this in our life? And it's amazing how things change as the, day, as the day goes on, as God sends his Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what? I've got this. I've always had a plan for this. With man, you know, all of this going out into all the world, man, that might be impossible. With God, all things are po possible. And that's the story of the book of Acts. As we continue to look through, God knows that if we're going to get his work on earth done, we're going to need his help. And so he sends the helper, the counselor, the advisor, the guide, the revealer of truth, the teacher. We're not talking about the helper like your preschool helps you bake cookies which is always fun. You should do that, right? But you also got to pick out all the, the eggshells uh, from the batter and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not that kind of help that God sends. God send, it's, it's like your, your cousin Vinny, the mechanic Vinny. Uh, you, you know who I'm talking about, the guy that you, you take your car to because you don't have a clue. You don't know how to fix your car. And you might hold the flashlight for him while he does all the work and does all the heavy lifting. But that, that's, that's the help that God sends through the Holy Spirit. He makes a task that seem impossible reality. 
And so let's, let's finish the story. In verse 37, they asked Peter, what should we do? And in verse 38 is the first time anyone is invited to become a Christian. I mean, this is, this is the end of, of the first ever, ever sermon gospel message. It's like, all right, if you believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and it's for your children and it's for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. It's a pretty good start. And this is what God does. And it's easy, I think, for us to look at this and read passages like this and think, well, that happened over there and it happened back then. But see, with the Holy Spirit, the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for all Christians is the fact that um, the Holy Spirit is the helper because he's right here. So this isn't something that just happened in the past. This wasn't something that happened over there, something that's kind of disconnected from our experience as Christ followers. The Holy Spirit is helper because the Holy Spirit is right here. And as we continue to read through the rest of Acts, we're going to see him embolden men and women. We're going to see him guide people. We're going to see him bring congregations of believers together and ease their fear and show them purpose. We'll see him transform evil people into loving people and all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, in fact, in some of your paper Bibles, you might see Acts might have a, a, the title Acts of the Apostles, which is a bit of a misnomer because Acts is really about Acts of the Holy Spirit. See, the work of the Holy Spirit isn't just about miracles and this thing that grabs our attention. It's about the manifestation of the message that God has given us to share with others. And he's still about that. And he's still doing that today. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, as you are reading your Bible throughout the week, as you're praying, as you are focusing your relationship with God, as you are in that scenario, whatever it is where you need love and you don't know where it's going to come from, or you need patience and you don't know where it's going to come from, you need kindness in that moment, you don't know where it's going to come from, and it does and it shows up, that's the Holy Spirit. When you need that, that time where you have that recall of that verse and that very specific situation, yeah, you have the freedom to ignore it. And too often we do, but that's the Holy Spirit showing up to empower you, to give you the opportunity to show the fruit that he's there indwelling you as part of your life. See, the Holy Spirit is not something that shows up when we come together in this room and worship together. The Holy Spirit is there in the car on the drive over here. The Holy Spirit was there when you were trying to get your kid out of bed, or at least when we were <laughs> this morning. The Holy Spirit was there last week when work was crushing you. The Holy Spirit was there when you got that terrible personal news. The Holy Spirit is there when everything seems impossible. 
Because God doesn't expect us to do this alone. He sends us the helper. He empowers us with his presence to live this life in anticipation of life to come. Let me pray for us as we, as Christ followers, seek to live with that truth in mind. God, I just ask that you make your presence clearly known. I know uh, many times I need maybe something a little bit stronger, a little bit uh, swifter kick in the head, uh, whatever it might be, to be reminded of the truth of your presence. Because, I, God, I see it and I experience it. But there's so many things that distract us that keep us from being mindful that you are there, that we carry you with us no matter where we go, no matter what scenario we find ourselves no matter what impossible task that might be, fr- uh, might be facing us, no matter what obstacle that might be standing in your way, that, that if we would just wait first for you to show up and to show us and to do it, then, man, we could see how you're moving in our lives. God, we, we ask for the opportunities for you to make the message of the gospel manifest in our lives. That we see how you are changing us and giving us the opportunity to share that change with others. And God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who makes that all possible. In his name we pray, amen.